is our week in the Weege. Hello and welcome to Week in the Weege. I'm Natalie Crawford. And I'm Selena Jackson. This week in the Weege. Will to apologies and the promise of discounted travel be enough to pacify ScotRail customers sick of delays, cancellations and poor service? We are joined in the studio by Liz Warren-Corney. Her union's calling for a bailio to be stripped of the contract. Awards season is well and truly underway and we've gone all gaga for local lads and Golden Globe winner Richard Madden. If you've just emerged from the Christmas fog, our sports reporter Andrew McLean's here to catch you up on all the results, transfers and big signings from across Scottish football. And after a five-year wait, a Renfrewshire woman's describing her joy after receiving a double hand transplant. All that and so much more on this week's Week in the Weech. A very warm hello to you and welcome to Week in the Wedge. I mean, I'm enjoying this Week in the Wedge, are you? Oh aye. I'd have preferred it if it's Week in the Wedge. Aye, or a Week in Barbados. This is a Week in the Wedge. Hello Crawford. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year? How was your birthday? It's been an exciting time for you. It has. It's been a wonderful two weeks. Christmas amazing, New Year amazing, birthday amazing, first episode of Week in the Wedge of 2019. The highlight, of course. What about you? Christmas, New Year, good? It's been lovely. It's been actually very quiet, which has been nice. And I feel like I'm that stereotypical person that you're seeing on Twitter and it's like, how was your Christmas? Quiet, do much? No, I saw the fam. It's all for the kids though, isn't it? Like, that's literally me. But I'm like, I had a quiet time, put my feet up and it was glorious. And I'm going to my holidays tomorrow, so I'm very excited. Oh, that is absolutely... Do you know what you were saying there? There's actually a study that I read over Christmas which said 55% of people in the UK were planning a quiet new year uh-huh. like it's just becoming the thing like yeah, I get we that. just like staying in in our jammies and then maybe having like a wee drink in the house and I get that that's chilling. what I did well I mean I was on call on New Year's Eve yeah. so I was very sensible but I've done that the last couple of years now because I've found that see when you go out for New Year it's always good fun and everyone's out but then it gets to half past four and you're standing in the cold waiting for a taxi yeah. and everything costs about three times more and you're like, you know what, I just want to be in my It's bed. just not worth the hassle. No, plus you want your steak pie on New Year's Day and you can't have that if you've overdone it the night before. Yeah, if you've got the fear. Shall we say. Yeah. Now, after a five-year wait, a Renfrewshire woman's describing her joy after receiving a double hand transplant. Corinne Hutton from Laquinock lost her hands and feet to sepsis five years ago. She'd given up hope of finding a suitable donor when a call came to say a match had been found on Monday afternoon. Yep, so within hours, the 47-year-old was in a private ambulance heading to Leeds General Infirmary where specialist doctors were waiting for her. The surgery took 12 hours and the team working on the procedure included Professor Simon Kay, who was actually given an OBE in the New Year's Honours List, which I would say is very well deserved. Corinne founded amputee support group Finding Your Feet after losing her limbs and Kay Ferguson from the charity who we've been speaking to says it's been an overwhelming week. She's doing absolutely fantastic. Obviously, a 12-hour surgery is really going to take it out of you. But no, we've we've spoken to her on the phone. First thing she said was, I've got hands, and then passed the phone back. I think she was going for a quick nap. But she's she's doing absolutely fantastic. And she's just, she's thrilled. She's been waiting the best part of five years for this transplant and was beginning to lose hope that they would find a donor match. And it all happened so fast. So Monday evening, she gets the call. Two hours later, she's getting a private ambulance 
down to Leeds um, where they begin the 12 hour surgery that afternoon um, and it's I, I think she'll still be in shock This is a week in the Weege So Karine's the first female quadruple amputee to reach the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro She's climbed Ben Nevis She's abseiled <laughs> cycled round the Isle of Arran taken up skiing and ballroom dance lessons What an incredible woman I mean, of course, you know, we all do that. She yeah. is putting us to shame. That is unbelievable. I know. I ca- cannot think of anyone more deserving. Oh, God, no. That's, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. It's like what we were saying before. We feel like Week in the Weed is always a bit doom grim and, and doom and Brexit and blah, blah, blah. And you think, do you know what? We've got a nice, happy story. And this is probably one of the happiest stories. This is lovely. And I think, you know, it's so topical. Obviously, we're talking a lot about organ donation just now. They're trying to do a lot of big pushes to get more people to sign up to be organ donors. And I think when you see success stories like that, you think, yeah, completely worth it. And what completely blows my mind is the skill of the the surgeons and the science behind such a delicate operation. Um, Corinne put a video up on on her charity's Twitter page um, after the surgery and she was saying that she's already able to move her fingers. These limbs aren't, they're not just for show, do you know? They're not just for aesthetic purposes. Mm -hmm. She's actually going to be able to use Fully operational hands hands and fingers. Absolutely mental. I can't wrap my head around that, but you know, very well deserved OBE, clearly. A week in the Weege. Now, I think it's fair to say it's been a turbulent week for ScotRail. They've been forced to issue not one, but two apologies to customers after weeks of delays and cancellations. I'm sorry to announce that the 0913 ScotRail service to Glasgow Central is being delayed. They're now offering season ticket holders in the worst affected areas free travel to anywhere in Scotland for six weekends in the spring. But is that enough? Well, we're joined by Liz Warren Corney from the TSSA Union, who says it's not. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Natalie. You were protesting outside Glasgow Central this week, first of all. Why were you there? Well, we were there on the Monday to gather support for our petition calling on the Scottish Government to strip a belly out of the ScotRail franchise because... I think, as everybody listening will agree, they have not been doing a good enough job and they have not been doing a good enough job for the entire time that they've had the contract. So that's been the last three years and noticeably in the last several months, we've really seen the effects of the bad decisions that they've been making all along. And the passengers are the ones suffering. Now, they have apologised and obviously they've offered this compensation. Is, is, Is that enough? I mean, I had to laugh. The idea that somebody who's suffered delay after delay on their morning commute and their evening commute, somebody who's struggled to get home in time to pick up their kids, somebody who's had to apologise to their boss every day for weeks on end for being late, the idea that they would want to get on a train at the weekend to go anywhere at all just made me laugh. Yeah. And obviously that this compensation that they're offering, it is only for season Ticket holders. People who travel regularly but maybe don't hold a season ticket for various reasons aren't getting anything at all. People who may have been delayed for a very serious length of time but who only travel occasionally will be getting nothing more than the normal repayment for a delay. So this isn't really much of a compensation for an awful lot of ScotRail's passengers. And on top of that, they've taken away the Kids Go Free scheme. Yeah. So what is your message to Abelio then and, and the Scottish Government? 
My message to the Scottish Government really is it is time to call time on Abellio. You need to strip them of the contract. ScotRail should be run in the public sector where it could be run for the public interest, not for making a profit. And my message to Abellio really is just hold your hands up, admit you've done wrong and go. Goodbye. So, I mean, obviously they've issued this apology and they've said, you know, we know over the last couple of months we've not been doing particularly well. But in your view, it's it's it stretches past the last three months. It's been the last three years. So what are the issues then that have led up to this? What we've seen that's caused these problems is a series of bad decisions. In particular, in order to make a profit out of the Scott Rail contract, Abellio have done their very best to cut staffing costs. There's no compulsory redundancy scheme in place, but that hasn't stopped them running three voluntary severance schemes, encouraging people to go and not replacing them. It hasn't stopped them not replacing people who've left under more normal circumstances, so that they've been running and hundreds of unfilled vacancies. That's what's meant that they couldn't train their staff without having to cancel trains because they didn't have the staff there to can- to cover the shifts. For my members' point of view... For anybody working on ScotRail, they've seen years of not being able to get time off because they can't get people to cover the shifts. They've seen years of irate passengers because they've not been getting the customer service they deserve. And in fact, what we've seen as a result of those decisions is ScotRail now at its lowest rate of punctuality since it was privatised back in the 1990s. That's a hell of a record. Now, you you mentioned the issue of training and this wee apology statement that, that Scott Rail um, issued earlier this week. They said that since the 9th of December, they've trained 70 drivers and conductors and they have plans to train 20 more throughout January. Is that enough? Is that enough training since the 9th of December? 70 people have been... I'm surprised it's such a low number given the level of delays and the level of cancellations and overcrowding that we've seen. I'm really quite surprised it's only 70. What they are doing is training drivers on the new trains that they've brought in. Uh, in many cases, they're not new trains, they're old trains, but they're new to us. Um, so where they have drivers who aren't taking on the new trains, they won't be needing to, dry, to train them. So I suppose that would explain why they haven't trained more drivers, but I'm still surprised at the level of delays and cancellations for such a small number to be trained. So what would you say to customers then? They're commuting day in, day out. What can they do if they're getting fed up with this service they're getting? I mean, the customers really need to make their voices heard. One way, of course, is to sign our petition, which is at bit.ly L-Y, forward slash save scotrail. And alternatively, they can contact their own MSP directly. But I think at this point, we need to be calling Nicola Sturgeon to account. We need to be making our voice heard and make it clear to the Scottish Government that we've had enough. What is, in your opinion, the likelihood of Abelio being stripped of the Scottrail contract? I think it's becoming increasingly likely. Even the Transport Secretary, Michael Matheson, has signalled that he will consider it, which is new for him. Uh, ultimately politicians are answerable to the public they're answerable to the people who elect them so the more we make it clear to politicians that we want Abellio gone the more likely it is that Abellio will be gone. Would that result in in more 
you know, churn for customers though, if, you know, ScotRail's changing hands again and being moved back into the public sector, could that not potentially increase delays and cancellations? I really don't think it could. Um, If we've seen in the United Kingdom where the East Coast Main Line, which runs into Scotland, in fact, was taken into public ownership, that's actually resulted in improved services for customers. Uh, certainly when it, the East Coast franchise was last in public hands, it had the highest level of cut, customer satisfaction, the highest level of punctuality across the country. So I'm sure that that would be the case in ScotRail. One of the things that's happening under Abellio management is a state of constant reorganisation within the organisation with small departments and bigger departments constantly getting new managers, new directors, and therefore new directions of travel, as it were. And I think if we had it in the public sector where the focus was to run a good service for the public rather than to make a profit, we would actually see an improved service for customers very quickly. We would see a 6% cut in ticket prices purely because we would be taking out the element of trying to make a profit and we would also see increased staffing. I think staff vacancies could be filled very quickly if the will was there to do so. So we would see a very good service for the passengers very quickly. You mentioned pricing there. That is another issue Isn't all it? <laughs> in itself. Um, I, I noticed myself when I, I was going from Paisley to Glasgow um, earlier in the week, uh, a, f- a 40 pence increase from 360 to £4 on my train ticket. Is that the kind of thing that we're, we're seeing across the board? Yes, yes that was the 2.8% fare increase that we... Uh, suffered at the start of the year, Abellio could have frozen it. They could have done if they'd wanted to, but they didn't. Uh, and I think Michael Matheson said it would be a £35, £38 million pound, uh, cost. Well, Abellio UK has made £1.1 billion in the last 12 months, so I'm sure they could have taken a £35 million pound hit to acknowledge the poor service that they've been giving customers lately. Thank you very much for coming in, Les. We really appreciate it. Thank you very Thank much, you. Natalie. This is a week in the week. (laughs) Were you just singing the jingle, Selena? I was. Please cut that out. No. (laughs) Oh, okay. That was that one. You all needed to hear that. You've yeah. Now, Natalie, now, award season is in full swing. Don't look at me like that. We don't even have a jingle. One of us just sings it and we just auto-tune it. Yep. Now, award season is in full swing and it was a good night for <laughs> British actors at the Golden Globes earlier this week. Awards went to Richard Madden for his role in Bodyguard, Ben Wishaw, who was in A Very English Scandal, and Olivia Coleman for The Favourite. The Bodyguard was absolutely amazing. Did you watch it? Sarah? I did. It was fantastic. And usually I'm one of these people that if everyone's like, oh, you need to watch this. I'm like, yeah, mm. no thanks. Don't want to jump on the bandwagon. But no, I watched it and it was absolutely fantastic and I thought Richard Madden was brilliant and also I know he's from Renfrew Renfrew Renfrewshire Renfrewshire he's from Eldersley which is a village in Renfrewshire Renfrewshire. near Paisley okay so he's from Renfrewshire and only for the first time last week did I actually hear his Scottish accent and it had never clicked in my head that of course he doesn't talk like I thought he still sounded quite Scottish in the bodyguard he sounded Scottish but he sounded Completely different, yeah. if that makes sense. And I heard him and I was like, oh. When oh. when the bodyguard came out, there was all 
these American people watching it tweeting not understanding why he was calling her ma'am because they thought it was mum and <gasps> then they thought it was like some really weird Ooh, inappropriate relationship that they Ooh. had but Mr. Madden was handed best actor in a TV drama at the Golden Globes for Oops. his role as David Budd the 32 year old he grew up in Renfrewshire um, and Eldersley he attended Pace Youth Theatre which is the drama school in Paisley and then he went on to um, drama school in Glasgow and has did you hear his acceptance speech? I've not heard this oh, yet, no. It's adorable, right? You have to listen to this. <laughs> I'm kind of blown away by it because, you know, you kind of, I've been, you know, acting for 20 years and, and, and never thinking you're, you're good enough, I suppose. And then to receive something like this is just a real, I suppose it's a wake-up call to me to be like, believe in yourself more because other people do. <laughs> you kind of constantly question yourself as an actor if you're good enough or if you're, if you're kind of real enough or if you're deserving of anything and, and that's a constant thing that you're doing to yourself is kind of uh, questioning your ability. It's a week in the Ouija. Oh, how lovely is that? That was really nice. And it just goes to show even your Hollywood actors and, well, maybe not Hollywood, but your big scale actors yep. on the red carpet at the Golden Globes, they all doubt themselves sometimes. So that's just a message to everyone out there. If you're doubting yourself, just think Richard Madden did and look where he is now. Yep. If he can do it, we can all do it. That was very inspirational. Yeah, lovely. So what else happened at the Golden Globes? So there was a double win for the Queen biopic Bohemian Rhapsody, which won Best Movie Drama and Best Actor for Rami Malek. I've not actually seen that yet. No, me neither, but I do want to. I love Queen. Um, Olivia Coleman was honoured for her portrayal of Queen Anne in The Favourite and Ben Wishaw won for his role in the TV miniseries about the Jeremy Thorpe scandal. This all sounds very interesting. I've not seen any of no, them. No, I actually haven't. I have been meaning to see Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, I'm going to be honest, I hadn't heard about the favourite until we started covering awards, but mm-hmm. um, apparently Olivia Coleman's performance is outstanding and everybody has to go and watch it. And I think um, the the nominations were announced for the BAFTAs earlier this mm-hmm. week as well. And I know the favourite is leading the way. It's got 12 nods. So, I mean, it's definitely doing something right. Things like that always do well, I think. You know, all your kind of historical films and iconic stories, they seem to be getting kind of immortalised in film and TV so much now. So we had um, The King's Speech, we had The Iron Lady, yeah, The God. Darkest Hour last year, that was one about Winston Churchill. We've got Mary Queen of Scots has just come out as well. Exactly. So I think this is kind of having a bit of a moment just yeah. now and I'm here for it. Me too. Right. From, From showbiz, showbiz to, to sport. sport. <laughs> this is a week in the week. On to sport now, and if you're just emerging from that Christmas fog, that bit between Christmas and New Year when nobody knows what day of the week it is or what's going on, our lovely sports reporter Andrew McLean is here to catch us up on all the results, transfers and big signings from across Scottish football. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Honour to be here. Thank you for coming on at Week in the Week. That's all right. No worries. Pleased to be here. I don't know much about football, as you've probably gathered at this point. This is why you're here. But I understand there was a couple of big games over Christmas and New Year, namely an, an old firm game, maybe? There was an old firm game, yes, and uh, it was won by Rangers. For the first time one in nil. how many years? First time in, first league victory in just over six years. Steven Gerrard's first victory against Celtic. They lost 1-0 to Celtic earlier on in the season. A 1-0 win for Rangers this time round, but as it was with old firms, 
there's always a lot of drama and uh, yes. the drama came in the shape of refereeing decisions this time yeah uh, Alfredo Morelos Ranger striker he uh, there was three incidents that a lot of people weren't happy with they weren't dealt with at the time uh, he wasn't given a yellow card no fouls were given no red card uh, they then went to the SFA afterwards the SFA reviewed the incident and he wasn't charged for them and he was let go and so the SFA agreed with the referee basically what happened is John Beaton the referee if he says to the SFA when they're reviewing the instance if he says I saw the incidents at the time I still agree with the decision I made then no further action can be taken and that is what happened in this scenario but it hasn't gone too, down too well on the uh, social media and other things the referee is reported to have had uh, abuse sent to his uh, mobile and, and other things like that so it's now getting to the point where a line is seriously being crossed for the safety of, of these referees So what what do we do about this then? What have the SFA had to say about this the referees union? That's the thing they're uh, obviously coming out and condemning the actions of those that have gone out their way to um, send abuse to this referee and it is a case of I think people just need to take a step back and think what what am I doing here? It's a game. It's a game of football. And these referees, they go in, they're doing their best. Everyone makes mistakes at their job. Sometimes in a high-profile game when there's a lot of pressure, you'll make mistakes. John Beaton doesn't feel like he made any mistakes in that game. Many people, it's it's a real 50-50 split, depending on who you ask. You ask Rangers fans, they'll say Alfredo Morelos did nothing wrong. You ask Celtic fans, they'll say Alfredo Morelos did do something wrong. And that's the nature of football. That's how it works. And really... You should just accept the decisions and get on with it. However, that's not been the case in this scenario. It never is when it comes to, to these kinds of matters. You always have opposing sides. And I guess that's just the nature of Scottish football. But we're in a winter break now, aren't we? We are, yes. And uh, the teams have. It's pro- probably come at a good time for uh, for everyone to maybe try and settle down a bit. Celtic have gone off to Dubai. Rangers are in Tenerife but it doesn't mean that there's been a lack of stories coming out of both clubs because of course it's the January transfer window yes so what's been happening so both clubs have been very busy from the off the first bit of business that got done by either club was from Rangers they signed Kilmarnock's Jordan Jones and Dundee's Glenn Kamara on pre-contracts so they're set to join in the summer but there is a chance that they still could come in in the January window then on Sunday Rangers brought back Stephen Davis who was at the club seven years ago had a very long spell, captained the club. He went to Southampton. He's now back. And also the signing of England international Jermaine Defoe, which is yeah. going to be a very interesting one. A lot of hype surrounding that one. Big and name. A big it's name a name indeed. I recognise. So that so must mean yeah. he's a big name. Uh-huh. And uh, so he'll be making his debut against Cowdenbeath. Away to Cowdenbeath. So <laughs> it'll be an interesting... As they race stock cars round the pitch at Cowdenbeath and they've got big tyres there. So he's going from playing at... <clears throat> the likes of Old Trafford and, and Wembley and things like that to Cowdenbeath uh, Stadium where there's big tyres around the pitch for these uh, stock cars. So that'll be an interesting uh, first take in Scottish football for him. But Celtic, they've responded with transfer business of their own, two loan moves for them. They've brought in Oliver Burke, Scotland international from West Brom. And they've also brought in a young man called Timothy Weir, who the interesting thing about him is his dad is not only a former Ballon d'Or winner and the only African player ever to win the Ballon d'Or, but he is also the president of Liberia. Forgive my ignorance, but what is the Ballon d'Or? It is the award for the best player in the world that's given out every oh, year. Oh, really? So it's the one that 
Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo have sort of been ah. fighting for over the past few years. Luka Modric from Real Madrid won it this year, but he won it back in the 90s. He's the only African player ever to win it. And clearly he's a, a jack of all trades because he's now the president of Liberia. So big business on both sides of exactly. Glasgow. Exactly, and one more for Celtic as well. They've brought in uh, Vakun Isuf Bayo, who is a, a striker that was playing in the Slovakian leagues, a 21-year-old for around £2 million. So... That'll help maybe ease the pressure off Odson Edward, who's really their only striking option at the moment. So plenty of business, and I would expect there to be plenty more throughout the window as well. Is there any other rumours, any kind of tidbits you can tell us? When do we expect all this to settle down, and, and when do they play next? Well, the uh, it's only championship games in League One and League Two that are on at the moment. The clubs are back in action in the Scottish Cup, which starts on well, Cowdenbeath play Rangers on the 19th Friday the Friday the 19th or Friday the 18th Friday the 18th I think it is and then Saturday the 19th the rest of the Scottish Cup games are a uh, Celtic are at home to Airdrie in that one in terms of transfer rumours basically all the rumours that sort of came up at the start of the window that people were speculating have all met their conclusion all the players have, have either signed or, or the clubs have moved on from there so I think the clubs are trying to keep their sort of business under wraps at the moment, but with the way the January window works, there's always late action anyway. So I'm sure on the, the final day of the transfer window, we'll, we'll see plenty of stuff going on. We'll need to have you back next week to keep us all up to date. I'll be there. Our week in the week. Well, that nearly brings us to the end of Week in the Weege. But before we go, it's time to play our brand new game for 2019, When in the Weege. Yes, so every week one of us will take a turn to guess what year in history the other one's talking about based on three news headlines from that year. We'll play for points, so if we get it right on the first clue, it's three points. Second clue, it's two. And third clue, it's one. Much like our old game, We're in the Weege, there'll be a running tally and you can play along as well. Shall we go with a with a clean slate from clean now then? Clean slate, new, new game. game. New year, new us. Yep. New slate. So, yes. I'm going to be doing the guessing this week. So, Natalie, what have you got for me? Okay. Headline one. Okay. Glasgow named UK City of Architecture and Design. What year is that headline from? Mm. I don't know. No? Mm -mm. Hazard a guess? Mm. No, because when you said that, I thought you were going to go for the kind of viral one that everyone talks about. Glasgow named murder capital of Europe. So now Uh, that's all I can think about in my head. So I think that's giving me a mind block. So no. Okay. Okay. Second clue. Second headline. Okay. Queen visits brand new £240 million shopping centre in Glasgow city centre. What year am I talking about? So the Queen came and a new shopping centre opened in Glasgow. Mm, I'm thinking like Silverburn. Nope. Buchanan Galleries. It was Buchanan Galleries. Oh. Do you know what year Buchanan Galleries opened? Not got a Scooby. Okay. Well, I give you your third headline. Mm-hmm. Donald Dewar becomes the first First Minister of Scotland. That was. 1999? Yes! Yes! Well done! <laughs> we got there. One point one for me. Point Uno success pointo. on our first week of Wayne and the Weege. I already like this better than Wayne and the Weege. I like this better. Yeah. A Week in the Weege is a Radio Clyde News production. For the latest around the clock, follow on Twitter at Radio Clyde News. 
Well, that brings us to the end of today's Week in the Weege. Thank you to our guests, Andrew McLean and Liz Warren-Corney. Join us again next week when we will be joined by the leader of Glasgow City Council, Susan Aiken. We'll be asking her what her hopes are for the city in 2019 and, of course, discussing the biggest stories from across Glasgow and the West. That sounds very exciting. I'm looking forward to that one very much. So before you go, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes and we'll see you next time on Week in the Weege. Bye. Bye. Bye.